Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the Sounds True Foundation. The goal of the Sounds True Foundation is to provide access and eliminate financial barriers to transformational education and resources, such as teachings and trainings on mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion. If you'd like to learn more and join with us in our efforts, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, my guest is Sarah Durham Wilson. Sarah is a women's rite of passage leader and writer. Her offerings are rooted in archetypal mother work and resurrecting the rite of passage from maiden to mother. Sarah has taught courses and led retreats for thousands of women over the past decade. She previously worked as an arts and music writer in New York City, writing for Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and Interview Magazine. Which sounds true, Sarah Durham Wilson is the author of a new book. It's called Maiden to Mother, Unlocking Our Archetypal Journey into the Mature Feminine. Sarah is a gritty, real, and funny truth teller, someone who is here at this time to help us see how we may have internalized, and many of us have internalized, patriarchal values and how we can free ourselves so we can put right at the center of our lives what we actually value the most. To do this, in Sarah's words, we have to move from the maiden, someone who's waiting to be saved, to the archetypal mother, the inner mother, someone who leads and takes responsibility for creating a world that's based on love. Here's my conversation with Sarah Durham Wilson. You're a gifted writer, Sarah, and in talking with you, one of the things I've learned is that when it came to putting your work out in the world, you searched inside for the idea that you could really stand behind, that would really be something that would come from your heart, that this is true for me, this is what I want to share. And that brought you to mapping out the archetypal journey from maiden to mother. And what I'd like to understand more right at the beginning and for you to share with our listeners is how this journey, the journey from maiden to mother, is so central and important to you that you wanted this to be the focus of your first published book like this in the world. Hmm. Well, first of all, Thank you, Tammy Simon, for telling me that you think I'm a gifted writer. That was a really cool moment for me. I was telling Tammy she was my first rejection letter, and I treasured it because it just had her name on it. That was many years ago before this particular <laughs> Maiden to Mother book came into being. Yeah, this was almost a decade ago. And, you know, all I knew is CPE and Marion Woodman had been at that house. And, I wasn't going to stop knocking on their doors. But then right, they that's a, Clarissa Pinkola Estes and Marion yeah. Woodman, yeah. two beautiful writers. Yes, indeed. They're, they're, I owe so much to the work of those women. And they came through this publishing house. So this is a very big moment for me. And this book, um, you know, I hadn't grokked my life's work yet. And 
my life's work turns out to be rites of passage, something we're so sorely missing in our culture. And around the time that um, actually um, Jamie Schwab, who is the associate publisher of Sounds True, and I started speaking, um, she reached out to me, which was also a dream come true. Um, after taking a course called Mystic School. And she said, I want you to write a book. And at the time, um, I was part of the trend of the witch awakening and the priestess path, and I was helping spearhead that very much. Um, but um, it wasn't something that kept me alive and on fire in a, in a sustainable way. And the mother is nothing if not sustainable and self-sourced, right? The archetype of the mother. And I was still constantly burnt out, not finding myself, sort of taking stabs in the dark at who I was. And also real around that time, I was leading a lot of retreats. And these retreats were centered around the idea of wild women, or even there was a quote going around about seven years out, um, from the Dalai Lama saying that Western women would save the world, which is an interesting concept. So I'm having these retreats and I'm, I'm holding this intention and what's happening is sort of glorified sleepovers. We're not moving the needle. Nothing's really getting done externally. The conversations are very eye focused. There's a lot of um, cattiness. There was a lot of drama. There was a lot of reactivity, um, a lot of distraction from the Dharma of what we are coming to do to heal ourselves in the world as women. And so around that time, I realized there's something very wrong here. And I, what was wrong was we were incredibly immature in our 30s. We were still little girls in women's bodies looking for someone outside of us to save us. And I knew Marion had used the term um, through her Jungian research of the mature feminine. And she had, she had worked with the mature feminine. She never really talked about the immature feminine. And I knew I was so far from the mature feminine. I really like the great mother archetype. So I must have been the immature feminine. And I was because I started to write down all my traits that I saw in me personally. And then I wrote down the traits that I saw in the collective feminine. And they were these very girlish, kind of spoiled, um, privileged, um, fragile little girls that were called that we were called women. And so I started to look at the opposite of those traits. And I was coming into traits like from fragile to resilient, um, from 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 drama to dharma, from you know from a focus on the on the outer beauty to a focus on inner beauty, like all these. And I was starting to say, I want that. I want to move in this direction. The direction became a, a bridge with every step I took. And then I realized, I have gone inside. I have met at the dark mother. I have taken the anana journey. And I have learned to mother myself, which is to tend to my own cries, to hear myself so as to heal myself. What happens when I come back up in the world, I've taken the descent, the heroine's journey. What happens when I ascend like Inanna in the myth of Inanna, come back to the surface whole this way? I now have the tools to not just mother myself and care for the other, which is what the mother does. The the other, the word mother itself is a, I call a marsupial word. It fits the other into it, you know? So now I can actually archetypally mother the world by tending to it, by not turning away the way I used to turn away from my own cries. I can now face the pain of the world as well as my own. And that's why I started to see this change in women taking the courses from little girls to women, from, from helpless to helpers, from 
hiding in fetal position to becoming really frontline feminine, like really at the front lines, really using their voice and their power to try to change things. And that's where I got hopeful. And that's what kept me going. And here we are. And I, I wrote the book. Now, I want to uh, make sure that everybody's tracking with us in your use of the word mother. You say yeah. that we need to think about mother in a new way, that yes. it's about developing a type of inner mothering power, if you will. So talk about that, how it's not necessarily sure. you and your little baby. At all, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. So almost like at, and, and my, my lovely, um, like, village with this book kept saying, like, she should talk more about being Ava's mom. And I was like, that's actually not the point here. The point here is that this is not biological. This is archetypal. These were trials I had to go through if I was ever going to stand on my own two feet, if I was ever going to fight my own battles, if I was ever going to have confidence in myself, if I was ever going to move the needle in my tiny little corner of the world. These were warrior archetypal mother, like great mother and mothering as verb, which, you know, I, I say in the book, it was one thing I had a physical mother. It's an entirely another thing to have been mothered. So mothering in the way of the way the great mother cares for us as her children, like a deep nurturing, a deep protection, um, and you know, a, a deep, a deep love, unconditional, and also mother love in the way we think of Ma Durga, that she fights for what matters, she stands for the sacred, she takes action, she is a protectress, right? These were the qualities I wanted to move into, and I have a background in um, New York City magazines and like rock and roll and fashion and all this stuff. And um, the only feminine I really saw modeled in the, you know, in media was this, you know, the fragile, the pretty, pleasing, polite, the weak, you know, and that's unfortunately what I saw in my own home. I had to create an inner model of an inner strong warrior mother, you know, the Durga loving protectress inside of myself. And then the work was to bring that to the outside. So it really is about this idea that in the patriarchy, we have triple mother wounds, which are we have, we've been severed from the great mother earth. We've been severed from great ma as in mother goddess. And we're often severed from our own mothers um, in the patriarchy because our mothers have been patriarchalized as well. And their feminine spirit has been um, oppressed as well. So this, these, the healing of this triple mother wound for me is to come back into sort of a pre-patriarchal or a primordial feminine place. Okay. So look, there's, you've already said a lot and I'm going to keep clarifying a few things. So in terms of this triple mother wound, I think people probably are tracking with you when you're talking about a, a, a wounded relationship with the earth. And yes. I think people also are probably tracking with you when you're referring to a wounded relationship with our very own mothers yeah. who perhaps never really grew out of the maiden phase of their life. But what do you mean when you talk about a relationship with the goddess that is unhealed? Well, in, as far as my personal story, the goddess was not in my con. I mean, she was buried in my subconscious, but she was not in my consciousness growing up in a patriarchal household and patriarchal culture. I mean, the only goddess I ever got close to was when I worked at GQ and they would put, um, you know, they would put 
Let up Playboy bunnies. Oh, Victoria's Secret models on hoods of cars and call them goddesses and they're naked. You know, I never heard of the mother goddess, the great mother. It was there was an external father god. He was always mad. You were always trying to make him happy. You were always calling him. He never picked up the phone. You weren't even worthy of him answering, you know, the whole thing. And but inside in church pews, I would feel something entirely different with like the swell of the music and the movement and the prayer. I would remember the mother but it would cause me to move my body and stuff in ways that I was shut down, you know, punish. And so I learned to punish the feelings of the mother very early, the sensuality and the roaring and the, you know, and the grief and all the, the big feelings of the feminine, right? The, the, the big energies of the feminine, which have been repressed for so long. You know, in us, there has been a very small way that the feminine can show up on the planet. And when and so beneath that is all of the million other ways to express ourselves. You know, um, you can talk about the way that these, you know, binary structures are falling. There's falling for women and men, too. I mean, we 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 were put in these tiny boxes. And the good news is, you know, we're all breaking out of those. And um the way the feminine could show up was really the ways I'm talking about on the covers of magazines or, you know, the women we saw on the screens. And you usually had to be very pretty, very tiny, very pleasing, very polite, or else you were the bad woman, you know? So we got to be either a good woman or a bad woman. And that was it. And the truth is we're all of it. <laughs> so the, the mother, uh, the idea that there was God, God it, there was a God also inside of us, the goddess, there wasn't not, you know, and, and there was the idea that she was all of our mothers, that she created us, that she loves us, that she speaks inside of us, that we can have a relationship to her through our bodies and the earth. I never heard of that. So returning to hear the mother inside of our bodies, the mother in nature is also very, very healing. Mm -hmm. Now, in Maiden to Mother, you don't write very much about being a mother of your own child, but you do write quite a lot about your own biological mother, your mother, and how her lack, this is my language, but her lack of development created uh, wounds for you that were a big deal in terms of your own moving from immature feminine to mature femininity. And I'm wondering if you can share about that for all of us who were in some ways unmothered by our mothers and how that impacts our journey from maiden to mother. Sure. Something I didn't really say on the, on the tail end of the last question, because I could talk about the goddess so much, is that, you know, uh, when patriarchy took over and destroyed the goddess and really vilified her and vilified women, um, and um, they, what we also lost when we lost goddess culture is we lost earth religion, rites of passage, the idea of our seasonal reality that we, we have, a, just like the great mother, we have a spring and then we have a summer, we have a fall. So we stay in spring. With, and the spring becomes plastic and stuck. We stay little girls. We don't move into mother. And that's also due to the severance, the loss of the mother culture, the matriarchal culture. As far as how my mother's um, 
my mother never coming into these rites of passage that we're talking about, her never coming into the full, her full bloom, her full summer, her full expression of herself to truly offer her the gifts her soul came here to give, you know, the assignment, <laughs> um, you know, caused her, um, it caused her great pain and great sickness. We, if we stay in Wounded Maiden, um, you know, it's, it's think of something that's dying to burst and bloom open, but it has to sort of stay hidden and small and in the bud. And so this sort of rot takes over that when it can't, when the soul can't be expressed. And my mother, I, I, she couldn't have um, her big dream of being a writer because she got pregnant with myself and my sister very early on in New York City and had to move to a small town. So here here I was, the, st the stealer of her unlived dreams, like a, the thief, sorry, stealer, the thief of her unlived dreams, you know, and also a mirror to her um, that she didn't want to look into. And also having no, uh, having not been mothered, only having had a mother herself, really having no idea also as a child herself still in Maiden, how to be in mother and care for someone outside of her. She couldn't even care for herself. And that's why I got to a place that's in the book where I say, you know, I'm no longer mad at my mother. I'm mad for her. You know, I understand now as her peer, the oppression she was under, the patriarchy she was programmed by. Um, but it did take me having to say to my mother, in, my mother died when I was young at 17. It took me having to say, I love you. I see you. I know you did the best you could, but I'm going to take the reins now. It's not your job anymore to love me. It's mine. And I can do this. I, I have more tools than you. You, you. you did a wonderful job for what you could do. But she also needs a mother. Like the, She needs the great mother as well. The great mother is all of our mothers. So it's like all of us on the lap, you know, our mothers, mothers and their mothers. We all belong in the lap. And my mother never got the lap, so she never got the self-sourcedness, the rootedness, um, you know, the the confidence, the faith, the fight. She never got that, you know. Mm -hmm. She didn't have the tools. Now, a couple of times you've mentioned rites of passage and how important these are, and for people who are like, I kind of get this evolutionary developmental process that we need to go through as women from maiden to mother, but what rites of passage really help here? Well, I mean, I do, I, I've, I put together a rite of passage because I couldn't find it anywhere, right? Is that necessity is the mother of invention, right? So, I mean, I did my best to uh, build one, which is to say a rite of passage is an initiation where you leave one world and enter another. And um, you leave your maiden life behind and the way the, the, your consciousness of maiden life, you move into mother consciousness, you leave behind this wounded maiden or patriarchalized consciousness about who you are, what the feminine is, what you're capable of, what your story is. And then you come into this place, you go from this like scarcity place of reactivity and fragility and self-defensiveness to this really rooted, open place where you yourself you know, I say in the in Wounded Maiden, we're always just waiting for the good to come. But in Mother, you're the good that comes. And that's a really different place to walk into the world as I'm not waiting anymore. I'm it. 
I guess what I'm, I'm curious about is I can see how 20 years of good therapy and lots of uh, inner development work and good friendship, how we can make a journey like this. Is there some set of rituals or ceremonies that are going to accelerate this process dramatically? Yeah. And if so, what are those rituals or ceremonies? So we start off with meeting the maiden. We start off with a with a meditation where we go in, and these 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 exercises are in the book, and where you go in. I'm really proud of all the exercises in the book. Like Jamie really pushed me to do them. I was like, do people really want these? And I'm so proud of them. I'm really happy Jamie gave me that. <laughs> She's like, yes. <laughs> so um, the first one is where you go in um, and you're guided by um, me or a maiden to mother, one of my maiden to mother teachers. Um, but in the book to, I guide you to uh, meet the little girl inside, uh, meet the little person inside, a little human who's been waiting to be mothered for a very, very long time. And then you start the practice of hearing them and making reparations that they've been down there by themselves. And then you grow a relationship with them and then you head into the underworld and you start to do forgiveness and release and let go. And you start to see, you just start to alchemize the maiden pain into mother wisdom, which means you start to hold with your mother hands, you know, the greatest pains up in this first act of your life. And you wait for the medicine to come. You know, the, it's Mary Oliver that from, from the box of darkness, you wait for those gifts. And then you let the, you know, the work is to, over and over sort of ritualize like what is to let the pain go and the medicine stay. So that pain of your maiden life is not in vain. It has become mother medicine to share. So you're down in the underworld and you're doing that with either through the book or with the practitioner. Um, and then you meet the cherishing mother. And that's this new, that's the opposite of the of what Marion and Carl Young would call the death mother. I'd call the patriarchalized mother, but I use the term the death mother a lot. Um, Marion Woodman has um, a great interview with, I think her name is Daniela Seif, because she didn't quite get to write a book about the death mother. But I, I can't do justice on the death mother the way Marion did. So she talks about that before she died. She did that interview. Um, and uh, and so then we we start to meet a cherishing mother, which is the opposite of that patriarchal consciousness. It's like the most loving, most nurturing. And we kind of like titrate how much love we can take in from that. Have, most of us, unfortunately, have never really felt that kind of mother love before. So we sort of practice going in and meeting the cherishing mother until it becomes closer and closer to how we talk to ourselves. And how we look at talk to others, you know, we say we invite the consciousness of the great mother in um, for our own, you know, for our own thoughts towards ourselves and our thoughts and actions towards others as well. You know, the work is to see ourselves through the great mother's eyes, which is to see ourselves with an incredible amount of love. Um, and, um, and then coming out of that, um, we move into the mother work, um, and we, we learn to build an inner model of the mother we needed when we were little, the mother that we, that our little maiden inside needs now, and the woman, the world just needs us to be now. And through that work, we build this model and the work is to keep meeting her, keep talking to her keep feeling into her, keep seeing her through these meditations. And eventually the last stage of that is to bring that model, bring that energy to the surface, to the world, that mother energy, where a woman walks into a room, not looking to get 
you know, she is in there to give. She's deep. She's not look, walking in her room thinking about what other people are thinking. She's walking through rooms deeply attuned to how she's feeling. You know, she she is not someone that is in a room to be seen and to heard and to suck up all the attention. She's there to hold things, to keep things safe, right? Safety is like the number one thing of the great mother. She makes us feel safe in a terrifying world. I love that description of the of the whole arc. Absolutely loved it. I, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by the death mother or the patriarchal mother when you were referring to those two faces of mother energy. Sure. So uh, did you ever see uh, Carrie by Stephen King, the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Remember, they're all going to laugh at you and the mother keeping the, the girl in the dark house. That's death mother consciousness. Don't even go outside. Don't even try. You're a failure. They're all going to laugh at you because you can never supersede your mother and death mother consciousness. You can never do better or be happier or get further or shine brighter. Right. So the mother's all about keeping the maiden very, very small as an act of protection. Because remember that mother is like, I'm doing this for your own good. The world is cruel, right? Stay here. At least you'll be safe. It's not a life, but you'll be safe, right? So that's kind of death mother consciousness. Don't even try. They're all going to laugh at you. You're just going to fail. It's sort of what our mothers were feeling, right? I can't like just the crush spirit of being a woman in the patriarchy, right? And so they're kind of, they're they're not giving us, they're not, first of all, a, a patriarchalized mother doesn't have the energy and the fortitude to be like the primordial fema witch keeping the patriarchy out of the house. It just bleeds into everything. It becomes our consciousness so quickly, it becomes our programming. So if that's going on inside of us, that's going on inside of the house. The life is hard, don't even try, stay small you'll be protected. And there's also this hatred of the child for stealing hmm. her love, right? Hmm. So they, they can say, I love you, but they look at you and you feel like they want you dead. You know, it's a, I'll never be good enough. She'll never approve of me. And so it's that. So then you have the opposite consciousness, which is you're perfect exactly the way you are. Every breath you take is a gift to the world. There is nothing you could do to make me stop loving you. You know, I will always be here. I will pick you up when you fall down. Every dream, go after every dream. I'm right here. I love you. You know, it's a very different consciousness to work with. Mm -hmm. Now in your own life, Sarah, do you at times find yourself in a, a maiden state of mind, for lack of a better word, and catch it for a moment and say, oh, wait, I have the opportunity here to transform into more of this uh, loving, strong mother, use the example of this archetypal mother sitting on a throne. Yeah. There's a royalty. So tell me like examples of when you're like, ah, that's a moment, that's an invitation to move from maiden to mother. Men and money, Tammy. Men and money. <laughs> so, so with money, I go back into my mother's scarcity. I'm still there with it. And there's a lot of witch wound and healer scarcity out there, you know. And there's also, you know, there's the other side of that where people are, you know, um, 
what's the word inflating prices like crazy and stuff. But that's a whole different discussion. But I go into, you know, I get I get scared around money. So I, yeah, I call it fetal. I go into fetal, which is to go back into the bud, right? The bloom is like, I'm part of the ecosystem. I'm giving of my gifts or even like I really work with the, the, the idea of the mother tree deeply rooted and the fruit is falling effortlessly, right? Like we're just, and then, and then the fruit's feeding me and it's feeding everyone. And we're just in this great, I usually get there back with money. I get really, I just give and I receive and I give and receive and it's awesome. Um, but I catch myself and I have someone to help me because I get really scared and really reactive and all the walls go up, right? So that's the bud. We're going back in the bud. And so then also I'm, my next book is about healing the wounded fem, the wounded maiden in relationships so that she actually no longer seeks the patriarchal partner. Um, and so I, I've had my last bout of that. Um, yeah. Just describe what that looks like to me. Obsessive, dramatic projection, projecting my greatness onto him because he has to be the rescuer because my programming from when I was little was that you, all you need is a prince to come and save you. Right. It's still in there somewhere. It, it gets, when I'm not regulated, when I'm not, you know, doing my work, suddenly someone's going to save me again. I mean, that the last one was last May, but that's where I was. This person is going to save me from my life. What do you do when you catch that? Like you catch it, you're aware of it now. Sure. And I have a now a huge coven of mature feminine women to be like, girl, you're in maiden right now. <laughs> you know, like you're really in your maiden. Cause we because when we first start our work, we say, How does your wounded maiden present, Tammy? And so you would be you would say, you know, she if you were to say she's she gets really reactive or she gets really stressed, or you know, so then as your friend, one day I, I would notice you're presenting, your wounded maiden's presenting. So I'd say, oh, it sounds like you could mother yourself now, Tammy. It sounds like you go out to nature for a little bit. It sounds like you could go back in for some because you're a bit in your wounded maiden. And and it's, you know, it's so so the the main question we ask at the beginning of the of the work is can you see can you see every challenge or every trigger as a moment of am I gonna be in maiden in this or am I gonna be in mother? And so that's when I just come back. I just come back to my lap. And we say, you know, when you come back to your own lap where you sit, you take a breath, you come back to the great lap, right? So you come back, you feel her behind you, you take a moment. I mean, with all the tools we use for the maiden and mother, it comes, it comes, it becomes easier to feel her hands on your shoulders, you know, the and and centering back in her lap behind you, waiting to see the vision of your inner mother again. And what would my mother do here? You know, and then that really offers a chance for love to respond and our maturity to respond. When you say uh, seeing the image of your inner mother, what does that image appear like to you? So she's she's on this great golden throne and she has this long brown hair. She has a golden um, uh, crown. There's a moon on it and she's draped in red and white silk. And she speaks very, it's, you know, we, we were so chatty now. But this primordial feminine, one word, two words, one look, and you know, right? It's not very wordy. It's so she, if I would go in there, she would just say probably one word, you know, or like two words, come back, come back, right? Stop reaching out for all that love and validation and attention. Come back home. You can get it all here, right? And it's unconditional down here. 
Yeah. You've been listening to Insights at the Edge. In 2013, Dr. Lissa Rankin's best-selling book, Mind Over Medicine, ignited a revolution in the way we look at mind-body healing. But when letters about miraculous healings and spontaneous remissions started pouring in from readers, she realized she still had more questions than answers. Certain that if she looked hard enough, she would discover the science behind why and how we heal. Dr. Rankin embarked on a decade-long journey, bringing her medically trained eye to healing practices from around the world. Her new book, Sacred Medicine, is the result of that quest. You can learn more at thesacredmedicinebook.com. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. All right, let me ask you a personal question here. This is something, Sarah, I've thought a lot about and I've never talked to with anybody, but this is the moment. I'm really interested in this whole notion of sitting on a throne and feeling like royalty and wearing a crown. And I'm interested in it because this kind of imagery occurs to me. I feel it. I feel this sense of taking a royal seat and what that means. My question is, I've always wondered, is that just because we've been so influenced by monarchies historically, or is this something actually even deeper in our psyche than watching, you know, historical movies and things like, what is it that's so deep in us that has this notion of a royalty and a crown and a throne. What what do you think about that? Well, it's archetypal, and it's pre, you know for me it's the it's the priestess work of and for me I I can I can meet a woman, and I can remember her from temple work. You know, so I can re, I can have a flash of sitting across her. There's a fire. I can see what you know what she like what details like of paints were on her face. I can see what colors she was wearing um, and kind of like her tribe, you know, whatever her tribe was. Um, and so I think when women start to have these sort of like visions or flashes of, of like a seat like that, I, th- I think there is an archetype in all of us that it, in all the women that are attracted to this work. And it's so nice to hear you also have that um, of, I remember, being a priestess, or I remember standing for what was sacred, or there's nobility in me as child of God or child of goddess, you know, that rises above what we see outside right now, which I call the patriarchal nightmare. And there's, there's more of a dream of, of, of ritual, of sacredness, of, of, of leadership, um, of ceremony, of, of villagehood. And I think crowns were ways we adorned in ceremony, not so much, you know, I was queen of England, (laughs) but it was something we did, you know, we took ceremony quite seriously. And if you have any inklings of a past life, those would stick out. Those would be big moments for you. 
When, when you say, uh, I remember images of women from temple work, what is temple work? When we gathered together to remember the great mother and, and do rituals and ceremonies and rites of passage in her honor, where, you know, um, when I was trying to, there's there's a part in um, the the rites of passage book, the maiden and mother book that, that my dear friend Jessica um, helped me with, um, where she said, you know what this needs is, um, um, you know, ex describe a rite of passage, describe a maiden to mother rite of passage back at the stones of Avebury, you know, and, um, and it's crazy how you, I just can put my pen to the paper and remember these ceremonies, remember what they felt like. Um, because I remember Avalon very, very well, the, the, the Isle of the Goddess in that time. So, um, so coming together and witnessing each other's great rites of passage in their lives, whether, you know, you lost someone or you came of age or you had a child or you came in, you know, you came into mastery of your gifts or you went on a vision quest to find them and then you came back and we all welcomed you home or, you know, whatever, or you got married or whatever. We used to, these were, these, you never did any of this alone. And you were honored and we did put crowns on you and we did celebrate you and your rites of passage as a human. You weren't just here to be a cog in the wheel in the wasteland of the machinery of capitalism. You were celebrated as a human, as an individual, as part of the village or the community or the collective. And your bones and soul would remember when soul life mattered, right? Now, I'm going to have to pick up on something uh, you said relatively casually. I do remember Avalon. Uh, tell me about that. What do you remember? So um, as many of us are going through at midlife, these diagnoses around, as many women are going through diagnoses around ADHD, low spectrum autism. I myself have had those diagnoses recently. Um, you know, looking back at patriarchal schooling and how damaging it was for so many of us, how traumatizing it was for so many of us. So I began to, Ira had past life memories very early in my childhood and they were very, very real to me. And I was very confused as to why I was here and why everybody was so fucking depressed. Excuse me. <laughs> I just, Say it like it is. Go I for it. I just looked around and I was like, what? Like, <laughs> was no magic. Everything seemed black and white and gray and the adults were all angry. And I, where all the women were supposed to be goddesses, where was the goddess and my mother and, you know, just all of it. And so I, I disassociated really quick here. And so when they'd send me to, when they send me to public school in my little plastic seat, everybody shut the, shut the fuck up, you know, <laughs> don't think for yourself. Don't, don't move. You know, I would go back there to Avalon and I would remember, so I'd be sitting in these plastic chairs. I'd be getting yelled at for having to go pee, <laughs> you know, or, or ask a question. And I was always in trouble for asking questions. And so I, I would start to I'd be there in this plastic chair under these fluorescent lights, always in trouble. And I would go back and there'd be these rolling hills and these big stone walls. And we'd all be in circle and these on, on these green cliffs over the sea. And, you know, we were learning about the earth and there was no hierarchy in this circle. Everyone, everyone was equal. Every voice mattered. Everyone, no one had more goddess or God in them. And everyone had a remembrance that was just being stirred up by the teacher by asking questions. There was no, I know more than you and you listen to me. It was, she was asking us questions and now it's the way I teach. 
to help each woman know that, remember, they already know. I'm not teaching them. They don't know. And I remember we would learn about the phases of the um, moon and the cycles of the earth and all the different animals and all the different herbs and all the different plants and all the different seasons. And I just remember joy. And I remember um, how ecstatic it was to learn about this beautiful earth I lived on. And, um, and, then, and then I would get snapped back to reality and being sent out to the hall or to the principal for not paying attention. <laughs> mm -hmm. Why do you think these images of Avalon are so alive in you? For what purpose? For what sacred function now? Tammy, are we really doing this? Okay. <laughs> I'm doing it. I didn't we're, know. We're doing it. Gonna be fully on display today, but <laughs> sure. It's if now you know. In mother season, we say if not now, then when. That's the season of mother. So I um I signed a contract in a ceremony at Avalon to come at this time on the planet and help women remember um, their primordial power, along with thousands of other incredible humans at this time doing their work. Um, I said I would come help remember the old ways. And that's why I say I'm not new age, I'm old age. <laughs> yeah, the ways of the ways of the um, the ways of the old wise women, the ways of the priestesses, the ways of the witches, the ways of the healers. Yeah, the medicine women. Mm -hmm. you, you have this interesting uh, quote about witches that I picked up on from Maiden to Mother. When women hide their witch, they are repressing their natural power. So tell me what it means uh, for us not to hide our witch. What does that mean? Because we're doing You're... that now, you and me, Sarah. We're not going to hide our witch. Oh, no. I, I hope you I know. <laughs> It's hard to, with a tattoo of a moon on your forehead, hide your witch. But <laughs> um, do you remember Practical Magic, the movie with Sandra no. Bullock and Nicole Kidman? So there's, so I teach on that movie because there's, it was written by Alice Hoffman, and there's, there's the archetype of the woman that's playing the good girl, which is Sandra Bullock, and then there's the woman that's playing the bad witch, which is uh, Nicole Kidman. And the, and the truth is that there's no such thing as just the good woman or just the bad witch, you know? And, and there's this moment where one of their like very out, um, witch aunts says, you know, it's such a tragedy. You have all this power and you don't even use it to the woman, to Sandra Bullock who hides her witch. And so why that was so important to me, like you have all this power and you don't even use it. That line is so important to me um, because it's how I see all women basically that come, that, that I work with. Like I see all this repressed power because women have learned to fear their witch or fear their power because they're afraid of people being afraid of them. They're taught that you shouldn't be spooky. You shouldn't be scary. I mean, I have this line now that like, fuck pretty, I want to be terrifying, you know? <laughs> and so um, pretty doesn't do anybody any good, you know? So I, um, so my, the, the tragedy of my mother passing at 45, which she'll, you know, I'm 43. So I feel, you know, my peer um, to pass now um, was that she did repress her witch. She did repress, so what is saying, her inner power, her feminine power. Uh, we're talking about, you know, the alignment with body, the alignment with earth, the alignment with moon, but something far deeper when you really do the work to go in to hear the mother inside of you. So when you leave this patriarchal consciousness and you go into the dark feminine, you go into the first layer of that is like witchhood. That was my awakening to 
um, something outside of what I was told was my power within the patriarchy. It was out, it was something that was very repressed within the patriarchy and with the earth consciousness and within my body. And when that started to rise, my true feminine power started to rise. When my mom passed away and there were all these boxes in the attic that we had to move, we found boxes of runes, tarot, spell books that she hid away. And I always wondered if she had really let that part of her witch out. What could have happened? Because a witch is a healer, a witch is a priestess, a witch is a goddess, a witch is a powerful woman and one who learns how to become their own healer and their own guide and their own mother. And I just wonder what could have happened if she had started truly down that path of power. Mm -hmm. Now, Sarah, your your work in Maiden to Mother is helping women make this journey, as you've described here in this conversation. And one of the things that I was reflecting on is it seems like, in a way, this would be a natural maturation process. But somehow in our time, in our patriarchal culture, it's interrupted. It doesn't, it, it doesn't happen naturally unless we do all of this inner work. Uh, how do you understand that? Sure. <clears throat> well, just like it's one thing to have a, had a mother and it's another thing to have been mothered, it's one thing to age and it's another thing to mature, right? And so maturity takes the inner work. It, um, and their inner work isn't something that's touted in our culture. We are completely guided to focus on money and materialism and stuff and how we look and how many followers we have. That's not a path to maturation. And so unfortunately, um, you will have many invitations into the underworld to grieve in this life. But, for, but unfortunately, also many people are very good at refusing those invitations and numbing to those invitations. But if you accept the invitation into your grief, into the underworld, to meet the dark goddess, dark mother, um, that's where, if you think about the Inanna journey, where she is killed by her dark sister, Ereshkigal, she prays Eresh, she wants Ereshkigal to kill her. So she, we're asking for the dark feminine to kill off our patriarchal parts that are killing us. And those are the immaturity. You, I mean, look at who's running the world. Toddlers in, you know, toddlers in, that are calling themselves men, playing with guns, you know, and, and, um, and fighting over stuff, oil, money. And so that is probably, that's someone who's not been initiated. They have not met what matters, means they still are, that's patriarchal conditioning to think that money and materials matter more than life. Mother consciousness is life is the most important, right? So when you go down into that grief and meet the dark mother through this feminine sort of work, she tells you what matters. She prioritizes your life. You meet what matters down there, which for me is the earth and children. I was in my midlife crisis last year. Um, I was brought to my knees by very, very sick with COVID uh, and met the, the black Madonna, the great dark mother and met what matters to me. And now okay, so tell me, tell me what that actually, what you actually experienced when you say I met the black Madonna, I, I met the, tell me what happened. Sure. I forget to explain myself. Thank you. Um, to me, what matters to become initiated usually it, it's, you know how people, I got very, I got the underworld is times usually the, 
the invitation is written by some sort of um, loss, loss of health, loss of hope, loss of a dream, uh, loss of youth, um, loss of the maiden, loss of um, safety, you know, and mine was loss of health. And also it was my midlife crisis. So I was going to be invited to a big underworld journey. Um, so when I was very, very sick with COVID, I found it to be an incredibly dark shamanic like experience where an energy was in the room with me when I was very sick, holding my little girl with no help. And I, I knew it as the Black Madonna. And again, this is mother tongue language coined by Maureen Murdoch, where this is soul speak. I can't prove this to you. I can't weigh it. I can't put it on a PowerPoint presentation. But I was told I was with the Black Madonna. And um, I began to learn about her as the, um, the grief of the earth, the great mother. And, who's, and if you look at the Black Madonna, she's always centering a child, always on her lap. And I met her as great mother of Isis, great mother of Kali, great mother of Magdalene. Um, as I met her as the as the mother of my lineage, um, and it, it changed my life even more because um, it is. It, we talk about like going through a ring of fire with teeth in the underworld, where it gnaws off everything that you you know, that you can't take with you on your soul journey that's weighing you down or is a veil between you and your truth. And she took a lot of that. What did she take from you? Um, I was still, I was, I was still conflating spirituality and money. I still had some, a lot of patriarchy in my business mindset. Um, I was still, sort of pulled into this kind of celebrity idea because so a lot of people, you know, and then when I rose from that sick bed, I was like, none of this matters. We're on the wrong track. Um, so when I talk about getting back on track, I talk about something called the mother river, which is my mother river is children in the earth. And I know when I get lost from that, when I get lost from that, I just have to stop like I'm lost in any forest and find the water again. Right and get back to what matters to me. So I had gotten off track again with people, you know, building this big team and everyone needed more money and we needed to just make more money. And I had lost my service. I was more back into the lip service and less into the true service. I was back into, I have to make all this money. And now um, I got, you know, whittled down back to the bone of why I'm here. And mm -hmm. it's been a relief. Now, to someone who's listening, who says, you know, I'm in some type of journey, I don't, might not have used the language underworld, but it's clear that there are some patriarchal values that I've internalized that are being stripped from me right now. I'm in some kind of underworld journey. What would you say to them that might be helpful as they passage, hopefully, through and come out the other side? Sure. I mean, so the when we said like eight years ago, we were having these retreats and we were using that Dalai Lama quote about Western women saving the world. The joke for me now is Western women will save the world when and if they learn, they unlearn their capitalism, their ableism, their misogyny, uh, their, their, you know, uh, basically their patriarchy, you know, and so that it, it does feel like you are being on the operating table in the underworld, because what is being stripped from you is all, 
over and over is all these, you know, um, these, this oppression, um, all these lies, you know, all these veils about, you know, what's true. And so if someone's on the other world, I always say like Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> You know, and to and to start to look for signs of light, like here we are in the northern hemisphere and where my teacher training is just moving out of the underworld. And it's it's when you start to see signs of spring, when you start to see signs of hope, when you feel that little sliver of the new moon starting to awaken you after it's been dark for so long, you know, the lights in the cave start cracking through. And so we we make it under we make it through the underworld by surrendering. We never make it by fighting it or denying it. So if she knows she's in the underworld. You know, she can ask for more help. What else can I do? What else do I need to see? Because that dark mother down there, she doesn't want to kill you. She just wants to kill what's killing you. So she needs to show you what you can't see. That's why you're down there. That's why you've gotten so slow. You can't change your life in the patriarchal pace. You can only change it when stuff stop, when something stops you in your tracks and you're brought down to hear and to see and to listen. And so that she loves you and she wants you to see what's holding you back. And the way to get out of the underworld is to give up what's killing you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now here's a quote from maiden to mother. You write the mother is the throne. She's the lap of humanity. The maiden rests on her lap. The crone is at her back. Yeah. Whispering wise woman wisdom in her ear. And I wanted to hear a little bit about the crone, because here you are, you're coming into this cherishing mother, beautiful, giving energy, and yet you have some intuitions about the presence of a crone figure, even now in your life. Yeah, I'm so honored, because when we talk about, so in, in, in maidens, we needed mothers and we didn't have them, right? But now in mother, we can mother these maidens. We can help them. We can bring them through. But who do mothers look to? We're oriented toward crone, right? Well, Jane Jane Hardwick Collins in Australia has introduced a third, which makes a third season in a woman's life, which makes a lot of sense because of fall. We don't really kind of crone kind of skips straight to winter. And and unfortunately, Jane has titled it MAGA. And that's a very triggering word. So you can call it empress if you like, but it's that you know, between mother and crone. But the crone for me, I was just sort of rereading Barbara Walker's quotes about, she wrote a great book called The Crone uh, this morning. And it, it's, it's and Marion Woodman said, by the time she got to crone, the truth just sang from her bones. And I, and I feel that, I feel, I feel a rage for the planet. I feel a rage for innocent creatures and innocent people. And I know that's the crone because I, because she just doesn't give a fuck. It's not about being liked. It's not about pleasing. It's that she's at the door to the next world and she's going to do that. You know, Alan Arkin has this great quote about, you know, people kind of say what matters right as they're leaving. Right. Right. Well, and also right on the deathbed, but you know, it's kind of like deathbed wisdom walking, not that a crone is on her deathbed, but it's got that power, that punch that I, that this is, I don't, I don't care what anyone thinks I'm going to say my truth so that I have emptied myself before I leave. Right. It's the emptying of the crone of the wisdom and the release and the, you know, and it's the, it's the offering it back, you know, as she comes back to the earth, she's sort of, it's it's just everything is whittled down into like truth bullets, right? 
So I, I feel her in me. I, I look to her. What will make you proud? What will make you happy? In this moment, what do you want me to do so you can be at peace? You know? And it's just, and, and Tammy, the answer is always say the thing. Say the thing. Disrupt. Right? Now, you've worked with so many women now on this journey of maiden mm -hmm. to mother with the crone whispering, mm -hmm. wise woman wisdom from behind. What do you see as the biggest obstacles? What are the things where it's like, uh, you know, this is why the people stay stuck? What is it? I clung to maiden until I was 38 because I, the heaviness of the responsibility you know, the biggest kind of the biggest teaching in Maiden and Mother, if there's any takeaway, is that in Wounded Maiden, we were re we reacted in Mother, we respond. And I think, you know, that responsibility, the heaviness, and you, even there's the crown is that the mother wears a crown because she has this orbit around her, right? This ecosystem that if she's not well, the ecosystem isn't well. So she has to keep herself so nurtured and self-sourced to keep the ecosystem. And that's a lot of responsibility. I think what I was, I think what I was, um, I was still praying someone was going to come save me. My, my, when my ex-fiance left me before our wedding, he said, don't worry, you're still pretty enough. Someone will want to marry you. And I was like, you think, you know, <laughs> like someone will come take this off the shelf before it isn't patriarchal, patriarchally viable, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like Amy Schumer's like last fuckable day, they'll get right. me for my last fuckable day, you know, they might buy me on sale, but they'll still take me, you know, like just really waiting because I never seen anyone go front line in their life, do the work, stand up. I didn't have anybody in my community, any feminine in my community. I had no Durgas. No mothers, archetypally speaking. Um, and I think of that. I think of frontline feminine. I think of being at the front lines of your life, you know, and that's scary for someone who's been in fetal position her whole life to stand up and move to the front lines. But I think that's the about that. It, but I know that is why we are all hungry for the village, hungry for the community, because you can't do this alone. You know, you have to see someone like me. My whole point in my book is, you guys, I was an addict. Um, my fiance walked away from me. You know, I was a mess. And I did it. Like, I want to be that person. Like, if I can do it, you guys, trust me. That's why I tell so many stories all the time about where I was. Because now I can champion that you can change it any chance I get. I'm a, I'm a living example. Right? Yeah. And I stand, I stand by this. I, I see women turn, go from maiden to mother in front of my eyes all the time. And it is radical and it is awesome. I've so enjoyed talking with you, Sarah. You, uh, uh, just the word that comes to me, it's a funny word, is you're a hoot. But uh, you're also someone, a truth teller, a brave soul, a beautiful writer and someone who is willing to stand and be a responsible voice in a world that needs real, loving, powerful, wise mother energy. So thank you. I've been speaking with Sarah Durham Wilson. She's the author of a beautiful new book, Maiden to Mother, unlocking our archetypal journey into the mature feminine. Thank you so much. Sounds true. Waking up the world. Thank you, Tammy.
Thanks for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at resources.soundstrue.com backslash podcast. That's resources.soundstrue.com slash podcast. If you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I absolutely love getting your feedback and being connected. Sounds true. Waking up the world.